0: Hey guys, Brock Cannon here, your host of the Brock Cannon podcast. And guys, I just want to give you a heads up. This episode is so incredible. Uh, I'm going to interview Shay McMaster, who is a strength and conditioning coach and owns a gym in nebraska right in the heart of america and he's just got a hell of a story i think you guys are going to be deeply deeply inspired Uh, we're going to get into a lot of just real talk and uh, i just hope you guys can relate we're going to go to some dark places and some really light places so i am stoked for y'all to hear this episode with Shay. All right.
1: I think we are good to go.
0: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to have Shay McMaster. Am I saying your name correctly, Shay? Yes, Shay <laughs> are. Shea McMaster on the podcast today, you guys. Uh, and as I just mentioned on the intro, got a hell of a story for you today. And we're going to get into some really cool stuff. Shea's just got an incredible attitude about life. And I think you're going to appreciate that even more once you kind of hear his story. So, Shay, welcome to the podcast, my man. Appreciate you being on so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. And with what you've got going on with Prevail, I, I just, I love that stuff. And I think it's a great alternative to some of the more conventional pain management methods. And I'm all about living the most health conscious life that you can. So
0: here we go. Awesome, man. Stoked to get into all this today. So before we kind of dive into some specific topics, I want our listeners just to get to know you a little bit. So let's just start with some of the basics. Where did you grow up? Are you originally from, you know, middle America? Talk to us about kind of your upbringing.
1: Yeah, so I had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, I was born and raised in the middle of a small town in Nebraska, um, Hastings, Nebraska. And uh, just a pretty normal childhood. I mean, growing up, I was a really unhealthy kid. Um, not so much in the sense of like overweight or anything like that, but really bad allergies. I had really bad asthma. Um, I, I was what I called skinny fat. There wasn't an ounce of muscle on my body. It right. was just uh, basically just kind of a human marshmallow, I guess. Um, <laughs> a- allergic to everything, just never worked out, super unhealthy. So, um, But otherwise, I mean, had a had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, health wise did okay in school but that was all up until i was about 15 when my mother committed suicide and then the whole family kind of had to deal with that and that's what kind of was the catalyst to set me off in another direction to say hey you know everything's hunky-dory when you're not presented with any challenges but what do we do when life gets tough and that's kind of what set me off on the catalyst of of where i'm at now with running the gym and and uh, being a health coach so all that stuff
0: well, that's incredibly hard to hear. And anytime you know, I, I have a couple friends who've literally had the same situation. They've lost a parent due to suicide. Talk to talk to us a little bit about kind of if you're comfortable. I mean, what was what was going on with your mother? Were there some internal battles that you guys weren't aware of? Did you know she was struggling? Like, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it's. It started as she was, you know, just tired all the time, and we were pretty young. So I was, the, I'm the oldest of four kids in the family, um, so I mean, I noticed the shift emotionally. I noticed the shift energetically. She just was tired all the time. She was staying home from work. I didn't know the depth of the issues, and obviously they they tried to shield us from that just to, to keep us safe. You know, my parents were just trying to do the best that they could do for us, um, but it just kind of progressively got worse and worse and worse over time. And then I remember her going to the hospital for a while. You know what I mean? Trying to go to like some, some inpatient stuff, uh, trying to get healthy, still not really aware of what was going on. Um, but as it progressed, it got to the point where obviously she, she committed suicide and that just rocked everybody's world in my family, all my relatives. I mean, it just flipped everything upside down. And, um, I know you guys are involved with depression to extinction, which I am a huge fan of, uh, Luke and, and JJ and all those guys over there. Um, I just did a podcast with Luke not too long ago, the Y blog, and uh, we kind of talked about some of this stuff too, and I, I love it. I love that people are trying to get the stigma of that out because I felt like when she was going through that, it was kind of like a hush-hush thing, right? Like, don't tell people, don't let people know, we got to handle it ourselves. Right it would have been way easier for everybody if everybody was on the same page and everybody was supportive and if we could remove that stigma around it. And um, when she did it, it just turned everything upside down and the whole family life got crazy. And I struggled with depression pretty hard for five or six years. And I mean, even drinking at a pretty young age got into some of that and my dad was doing that. And I got kicked out when I was 19 and it's just like, okay, I really had to grow up quick. Uh, I mean, I was basically raising my brothers and sisters from 15 to when I graduated high school, getting them to daycare every day making sure they got up for school, fed them breakfast, all that stuff. Cause my dad worked every morning, super early. So had to grow up really quick and then realize, Hey, we can be pretty resilient when we have to, um, I want to teach people how to tap into this and how to be strong without having to go through a tragedy, right? Letting them know, Hey, you're going to be strong enough to do this when it happens, if you have the right tools and you practice these things. So that's what led me on the journey of, okay, I got to eat better because I started looking into nutrition and understanding nutrition and your gut health affect your mood and your energy levels and your overall pain and inflammation in the body so greatly. I mean, they've linked depression to um, inflammatory proteins, right? Like cytokines, uh, C-reactive proteins, stuff like that. So being able to lower that through your diet is just one factor right there. You don't even have to change your mindset, just change what you put in your mouth, and that can change a lot. I mean, we know the myriad benefits of of hard exercise and running and lifting and all that stuff. So I want to take all that and give everybody the tools they need with the gym that I run here, Enlightened Athlete in Hastings, to be able to build up their resilience, right? Build up their mental toughness, build up their physical toughness. So when a tragedy does strike, they're a little more prepared. So There was a lot of struggle coming up with that. And this is the story I try to tell people too, because people can relate to, like we talked about before this, you know, struggles and the pitfalls and all we see all the time is everybody smiling and happy and uh, best life on Instagram and Facebook. And and that's okay. But I think it's way more powerful for people to understand and be able to relate and say, hey, everybody's going through something. We don't know their story. That's look at what they can rise out of the ashes and do be the Phoenix and rise out of the ashes. Look what they can do. What, I can do that too. And I want to inspire people to be able to do that.
0: Dude, that's, that's amazing. And, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Like I, I have a good friend and I, I actually, now that I think of it, I should connect you two cause you're both go-getters. Um, my friend John lost both of his parents, mm-hmm. um, Due to mental illness and and suicide and stuff like that, then his younger brother. So literally three quarters of his family gone, um, you know, dead and passed on. And you know, he always said, "I could have gone two ways. Like I could have one hundred percent gone in a really really dark place and just lived there and been probably pretty justified by society that that was the route he went. Oh, that's why John's into drugs because you know, his family situation or." Now that he's, like, this guy's, like, super successful, multimillionaire, done really well. He's a hustler. He also says that's why I'm successful, like, because of that. So talk to us a little bit more about, let's go back before we get into kind of the current state, like, what was going on at that time? Like, how many siblings did you have? Like, how did they react to everything? Where do you fall in the family? Like, talk to us about what was going on.
1: Yeah, so... I was an only child for five years. I'm five years older than the next sibling, which is my brother. Um, So I was the oldest. So it was just me and my mom and my dad for five years growing up. And then, you know, as the, as my brother was born two, three years before they really start, you know, uh, becoming active members of the family other than just a baby. So I, my entire childhood, it was basically just me up until eight or so, you know? So I was really, really close with my, mom, really, really close with my dad, Um, kind of a homebody, like didn't like to stay the night anywhere else, just so attached to my family. So it goes me and then there's my little brother. And then I've got a sister who's two years younger than him. And then we have my baby brother who just turned uh, 15, I think. And I'm going to be 28 in December. So there's a pretty big gap there between all of us. So uh, with all that, they didn't really know what was going on in the time and it a lot of the stress after my mom passed away a lot of the daily activities and all that fell on me for the school for the getting dressed for the getting my baby brother off to daycare Um, a lot of that fell on me Um, and that kept me busy enough I think at the time to not really have to process everything that happened right it was just so shocking that I just kept busy and I don't know what it is that makes somebody, like you said, your friend could have went one of two ways. I mean, they could have fallen down a deep, dark path, but I knew I had my brothers and sisters looking up to me. And I did go down a dark path on my own, but I hid it. I didn't let them see what I was doing. I made sure I got them up for school. I mean, sometimes I would even get up and get them ready for school, take them to school and then go back home and sleep till noon or one. You know what I mean? I have to call into school and they call my dad and it was a big issue, but I knew I had them relying on me. Because my dad couldn't do it all himself, so I think that gave me the strength to say, "Hey, I'm going to help my siblings out to do this." But that also put me on kind of a deferred life plan as far as processing the emotional stuff.
0: Oh, 100. percent I never and, went and to, like, talk to anybody. Oh, go ahead. And like, what was happening with your your dad at this time? Like, did he have to? Like, did he take some time off? Did he have to go right back to work? Like, how did he process it?
1: Yeah, I, he didn't take any time off for, I mean, maybe two weeks, uh, a week or a month, I'm sorry, two weeks to a month, something like that. It was not long. He was back to work. I mean, he was, he was uh, basically running um, a fabrication shop in Grand Island, a little town outside of here. And he didn't really have the luxury of taking the time off. So he went back to it and he caught his um emotional state i would say honestly kind of reverted back to like a teenager like rebellious and crazy and i know he yeah. started drinking a lot and so it's like even more responsibility fell on me i felt like so i to be honest with you i'm not 100% sure he's processed through all that today and sure that set a model for me to say i'm not going to do that i know i need to dig deep and do a lot of this emotional and spiritual work to Really, I want to be happy. I want to feel free. I want to feel in control of my life. I don't know where that drive comes from. Maybe seeing him not doing that—you know what I mean—still being right kind of a prisoner to his his emotions, and he's pushing those things off versus sitting with them. So I, I don't know if he's completely processed it yet. Um, we had a real bad falling out when I was about eighteen and got kicked out of the house and had to find my way and pay for college and all that stuff. Um, taught me a lot of lessons. I, I'm grateful for everything that's happened now because it's made me who I am. But yeah, I think it. I mean, in every challenge, there's an opportunity, or there's a silver lining, or a blessing. And I think seeing him not process it the way that I want to process it made me work that much harder to get through it. Right. So um, that's helped me really, really kind of grow. And my wife has been a huge help. When I met my we, I met my wife in uh, high school. Started talking where we actually. Fell in love and started talking. We went on a a Europe trip for about 14 days. We were in Europe for 14 days straight with a school trip. And uh, we started talking in France, like underneath the Eiffel Tower. I've got a picture (laughs) from the Eiffel Tower. And that's, I mean, we were going to school together since like sixth grade. We're in 10th or 11th grade at this point. I can't remember. And that's when we started talking out of all the places. We never talked in this little town in Nebraska. We started talking in, in Paris, France. And, uh, we just kind of fell in love and that's where the relationship started. And, uh, she has helped me grow so much and she's really pushed me to work through this stuff versus just going down the same road as some people I've seen that just are like, I'm not going to process it. I'm not going to deal with it. That's too uncomfortable. She's helped me grow too. So, I mean, I think a lot of this is just divine appointments, the way things have worked out for me. So just being able to process through that at that time, using my dad as an example was very powerful.
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. And I think that's what's so fascinating about, uh, you know, the choices people make, like, I don't know, like, you can learn from others mistakes vicariously, or just go and make the same mistakes yourself. And, you know, like, look, I think I think both are valuable in life, you know, and we're we're all going to make mistakes. But like, 100%, like, the way you did it is is incredible. And it's always better to like, see, oh, someone went down that path and that doesn't look like a great path. So I'm going to go down a different path. Like that's that's incredible. Now your siblings, like at this point in the game, how are they doing? Like, have they processed it? Like, how are their lives? Did the, any of them go down kind of a dark road as well?
1: Uh, honestly, right now, if I had to say anything, I'd say they are killing it. They're crushing it right now. My brother, um, I he has told me a lot of times that, what I did with kind of my entre- entrepreneurial spirit and really wanting to kind of pave my own way, gave him a lot of inspiration. Um, so my youngest brother started his own company. He has a huge YouTube channel. Um, one way is his uh, company. One way Visual. He does videography for weddings. He does photography. He does a ton of car stuff. He's super into cars and he's actually a YouTube editor for one of the largest automotive YouTube channels Uh, out there called it is slipping my mind right now but he is an editor a full-time editor he's the youngest full-time editor that they've ever hired and he is crushing it so I mean I could not be more proud. we talk every day um, and he says that you know the way that I was strong enough or presented myself as a strong person and kept plugging away and trying to get to where I'm getting uh, served as a huge huge inspiration for him and that's all I ever wanted when me and my dad were having these huge fights, and these blowouts. And I'm like, this is just miserable. This existence sucks, but I'm going to get through it. And I would visualize myself. I listened to Tony Robbins and I listened to Joe Rogan and I listened to all these people. And I'm like, one day I'm going to get through this, you know, this stuff. And I'm going to be able to tell my story to people and I hope it helps people. And I used to tell myself that I would see myself on the other side. And that's what kept me going saying, I'm going to be able to help other people. And here we are kind of on the back end of the, the crappy side and things are coming together. We, I just got married last year. I just bought a truck today, a new truck that I've wanted since I was 12. You know, today I went, it's That's That's awesome. That's amazing. I'm like, Oh my God, I did it. And That's awesome, man. yeah, so my brother's killing it out there. He's got his dream car. Uh, my sister is in college currently uh, finished. She's going to be a vet, a veterinarian. So she's headed down that road too, uh, to do really great things. And my little brother, is also diving into some of the more creative side of things. I mean, he's a great artist, my baby brother, and he's, uh, he's making music now, like he's learning it himself. He's teaching himself how to do all that stuff. Um, He's still in high school, but he's already seen what my brother and I have done, my older, my younger brother and I, and he's like, hey, you know what, that opens up a path to me too. I don't have to stick to the conventional route. So we are all, kind of staying away from the darker side of things and we all kind of lean on each other when we're having hard times and we call each other i mean i talk to my brother every single day almost i mean if more than three days goes by i'm like calling i am be like hey what are you doing dude so yeah they we're all headed down the same path i think to do great things and help people that's that's all of our goals
0: yeah that's remarkable so and i was just curious and i wanted to ask you and then and then we'll move on but like what were you and your dad fighting about so much like what like what happened and 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 then as a follow-up like how has the relationship mended over the years if it has like if it hasn't i understand like what happened back then
1: yeah um i mean if there was something to argue about we argued about it i mean it was anything and everything and it was a knockdown, drag out every single time it happened i mean i think it was kind of like this power struggle type thing where you know, I'm taking on a lot of responsibility. So I resent him and I'm dealing with my sure. own emotions and he's dealing with his. And then, you know, I'm a 16, 17 year old kid, which is at that point when, at least in my experience is when you start to feel a little rebellious anyway. And, you know, some of my friends did that and uh, you try to become your own person. You're trying to gain autonomy and you're trying to, Hey, I'm going to live life my way. I see what you're doing and I don't like it. So I'm going to push back harder. So on top of that, we had the added dynamic of, of losing, my mother, and I mean, it could be anything. It could be if I had to be home at ten o'clock, and I was home at ten three. That's a huge fight. If I mean, just exactly. insane amounts of fight. I mean, the one that got be kicked out of the house was we would go down, we float down a river, and uh, we had camping chairs out. And uh, chairs out. <laughs> this is the most <laughs> this is how high the tensions were. You have those, those folding bag chairs. Um, yeah, we were loading up, getting ready to go. I had my car, he had his car, loading up some of my friends. I walked over and I asked, "Hey." Uh, do you have the bag for this chair? And he turned to me and he goes, you know what? You're out. You're out of my house and we're never talking again. I don't ever want to see you again. You're such a disrespectful, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow. okay, done and done, dude. I'll see you later. And uh, wow. we drove home. Uh, my my wife was, um, her family was willing enough to take me in. Actually, it was just my girlfriend at the time. But I went home before he got home. I knew he was going to his uh, girlfriend's house and I loaded my, everything up i had a little 1993 honda accord and i loaded everything i owned up into that car and i moved out that day and i've never been back um i never moved back in i didn't have to move back in i found a way to support myself or her family helped me um so i mean god anything you name it we we fought about it um and then when i moved out he even told me a couple years later he's like i was for sure i was certain you were gonna have to move back in i knew you were gonna fail. i knew you weren't gonna be able to do it and wow that every day you're gonna be a failure you're gonna be a loser you're gonna be you're never gonna to amount to anything you need me more than anything and it's like wow it, it was so crazy i mean it messed me up for a long time i re, like six months ago i had to go do uh, emdr which is a type of therapy i moved yeah. desensitization and repolarization so basically it sinks the hemispheres in the brain for you to process through traumatic emotional stuff and uh i had internalized those beliefs so strongly that I would tell myself I'm a loser. I would tell myself I can't do it. I would second guess myself and doubt. And this was, I mean, maybe six, seven months ago, even, I just did that and got through that. And one session, I went in, we did the EMDR, and it felt like the biggest weight I had been struggling with for the last 10 years was lifted off of me. And it was gone. I don't have those thoughts anymore. And those wow. beliefs. so that is the most powerful thing that I have ever done in my life. It just switched my mindset.
0: I try so can to- you can you describe this this therapy a little bit more just like because I'm not super familiar with it and I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't like walk us through what that process was like because that sounds pretty powerful
1: yeah I mean I have been pretty introspective for the last couple of years or so so and I meditate regularly and i I try to journal regularly I, I meditate a little bit more than I, I actually sit down and journal but I was pretty aware of the cycles that I was going through mentally. I would go through a really good cycle and then I would fall back down to this negative cycle, beat myself up. And it's just like this continuous cycle that I would go down and go down and go down. And I was so acutely aware of what I was saying to myself in my head that when I walked into this therapy, they always do like, well, the one that I went to did like an initial assessment where she said, okay, let's talk about what's going on. What's happened to you? What do you come to see me for? Because if you don't have a real good grasp on it, and it's something really, really traumatic, and they open that door up, they open Pandora's box, and it doesn't go away. You know, that first time you do it, you are then left sitting with you bring up the emotions. You you work yourself up into this this emotional state of feeling the seeing the person saying the things to you or seeing the thing happen or feeling it, whatever. It really okay. brain up, and. When you do, what happens is they sit you down and you bring your, you bring up those emotions, you see the person's face, you say it to yourself if it's internalized beliefs. And then once you're all worked up and you're like, oh my God, like high emotions, high stress, they sit down, they are in front of you kind of off at an angle and they just hold their fingers up and they move them back and forth, left to right, left to right. Um, there's a very specific cadence, a very specific amount of times that they have to do it. They can go wider, they can go shorter distance laterally, so left to right. Um, So I wouldn't try this on your own. I would definitely have a professional do it, but they do that. And then what that does is the way that the eyes move, it links both hemispheres of the brain is this, this is how she explained it to me. And when that happens, it clicks, your brain clicks together and the hemispheres sync up. And then you're able to process that emotion and file it basically as something understandable. So the trauma before you can process it is filed as chaos and your body doesn't know how to process it. So it puts it over here. And this other file drawer that's like chaos. So when anything comes up that opens that drawer a little bit, like all this stuff shoots out, spills out like a closet that's too full. And um, being able to process that and sync those hemispheres together allows you to process it, file it in the proper place and you can move on. Um, But if you don't process it the very first time, like if you're not quite aware, if you've not been working on it and thinking about it and really dialing it in, like I I knew exactly what I was struggling with, you know, so I had a very clear path. If you don't have that and they open it up, it can leave you in a state of distress if it's not processed so they can do it a couple different set you know over a couple different sessions Um, okay luckily for me i got it done in one and i couldn't believe it i recall saying after she did it i was like what is this sorcery that you just did to me like you fixed me and uh yeah so that is the emdr therapy and it is i mean by far the most powerful form of, of therapy that i've ever done
0: so emdr therapy is what it's called Okay. All right. right. Well, we'll make sure we have uh, maybe like a link to that or something uh, post-show here. It sounds fascinating. You know what it reminds me of, Shay? I don't know if you've seen – you don't sound like a guy that sits and watches a ton of TV, obviously. But like I don't know if you saw the show The Sinner. Um, I
1: have not. Is that on Netflix?
0: I think it was – oh, man. I'm going to totally botch this. I think it was a USA – Okay. Show And it's fascinating. Like uh, it's kind of like a crime thriller thing, but one of the kind of mysteries to be solved revolved around this group in upstate New York. And of course this is all fictional, but one of they they did, it was kind of like a commune type of thing, but they did this quote unquote work where they were dealing with trauma and doing therapy around trauma and uh, the finger thing, I think acts like the back and forth fingers actually is depicted in there. So they probably just pulled some pieces of it and it's probably like super over dramatized like, cause they end up like, you know, people end up like beating the shit out of each other, like to release trauma and, and it goes a little far, but like, right. um uh, I wonder if they pulled pieces of, of, of this ther- this legit therapy that you're talking about from that show. We'll have to, we'll have to look at it. Or if you end up watching it, I think you'll, you'll find it pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like they did. I mean, I've never seen any other type of uh, uh, therapy like that that kind of involves the actual physiological side of things of actually like moving the eyes together to sync the brain. So yeah, it sounds like they probably did pull from that.
0: Okay, so I want to ask you, I mean, this is just fascinating. Like I, there's so many questions I want to ask you now because we've opened up some great categories. But like someone who is literally being told by their – like. I just, I feel like most of our parents and look, I'm a parent too. And I, I, I'm so imperfect. And like, I know I've made mistakes and I'm going to keep making mistakes, but like, I just think even the most well-intentioned parents, they, like in a way, pardon my French, but they just kind of fuck us up in a way, like because they're projecting their stuff onto us. And there's like this fine line of allowing our kids who are just in our, you know, in our care for a very temporary state, um, allowing them to like be who they are and 100% find themselves and make mistakes. Like this whole thing of like protecting our kids so that they won't make mistakes is bullshit. Like, I think, I think that's how we grow. That's why I think it's so amazing when you say, you know, your story was like, I moved out and I just figured my shit out. Like you did, like you went out and just made it happen. And like, Honestly, like how does it feel now looking back, thinking that your dad was telling you that you would never amount to anything and now you are where you are? Like like honestly, how does that feel?
1: Uh there are still some days that it is unbelievable. I mean, from where I was, I remember specific instances of just feeling miserable and mowing the backyard and just being like, Oh my god, I just hate everything and this sucks so bad but I knew one day it was going to be okay. I just told myself that I had to, to get through it and stay strong. Um, it feels amazing. I, I mean, the life that I have now, the business that I have, the relationships that I decided to cultivate the relationships I decided consciously not to cultivate, to cut people out of my life. Um, being able to take control, it feels amazing. It, it is more joyful than I could have ever have imagined my existence to be. And there's still ups and downs, obviously good and bad, but, overall, it is, it's just unbelievable. I'm so happy that I've gotten to this point, And it only gives me more energy to keep going. Like we're, we're just getting started is what it feels like, you know, I'm ready to run through brick walls for the next 20 years to get to where I want to go to give my kids a good life, and my kids that I don't have yet a good life. Um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to say was too we I kind of skipped over it. Um, the relationship with my dad has gotten a lot better. Since I moved out, it started to get a lot better right away. Just kind of removing that power struggle and that dynamic of me versus him under his house. You know what? Cool. You can do it your way, but I'm going to do it my way in another space. It's we're way better now. Everything is kind of processed through. We've talked about it and, and uh, the relationship has mended definitely. But one thing that you touched on that I like a lot is our parents do kind of fuck us up. They do. And it's most of the time, not intentional. But they've got a lot of stuff. I mean, they're humans. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like when you have a kid, you stop being a human. You yeah. still kind of mess up. You still have growing to do. My wife read uh, the book called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And yes. She told me a story from the book where she said, you know what? The lesson that I learned was when you have kids, it doesn't mean you stop growing. You learn and grow, but do it with your kids. When you Mm. sit down and talk to them because they're smart. You know what I mean? Kids are smart. They know, they learn, they absorb things. So sit down and talk with them about maybe your failures and say like, hey, this is what I learned. Or when they mess up, let them mess up. And then sit down and talk together and say, hey, what can we learn? What can we do? What can we grow? What do you want me to show you? Like, Learn and grow with your kids because you never stop learning and you never stop growing. And when you do, that's a scary, scary day. and You should feel very uncomfortable.
0: Oh dude I, that is that is so huge and, and by the way, I'm a huge brene Brown fan. I, I think that book's phenomenal. We'll, we'll make sure to mention that well um, it just it's just so good and and I think like parents today like I was I don't know how you feel about this but <laughs> this is gonna ruffle some feathers like I, I'm sorry to all the parents who are currently doing this or have, but like I feel so strongly about it i was I was driving the other day behind a car, and you see the sticker on the back of their window, UCLA mom, proud Harvard mom, proud Yale mom, whatever it is. And yeah. it's kind of like so many of these kids have gone into college or a certain profession or whatever path literally to please their parents because we're all so desperate for that attention. Like we want to please them. It's, it's in us and it's ingrained. Uh, but some parents are stronger to make that point than others, like, of what their expectation for their kid is. I just think it's so wrong. Like, I honestly think, like, if those parents want the stick, like, go fucking go to Harvard yourself and get the sticker. Like, don't push it on your kid. And I, I just think it's it's such a destructive thing parents do to their kids in that sense. But on the flip side, like, letting your kids fail is huge, like, I think it's huge and letting them struggle, like letting them go through stuff. Like there's been some times, like even in my, my young, like I'm 37 now, like even in my younger twenties when I was trying to figure stuff out and like, I'd try some venture and I'd run out of money and then I'd like run to my dad and be like, Hey dad, like I need some money. He'd be like, no. Like, I remember the first time he said, no, I can't. I was like, Well, I hate you, but like pick up the pieces and like, let's go. Now I got to figure a way out. And I did. And it was, it was a gift. And I know you're a big Tony Robbins fan. Like one of my favorite quotes of all time is like, it's not about the resources you have. It's how resourceful you are. Talk to me about how you feel like you've kind of developed that resourcefulness in your life since that moment of moving out.
1: Yeah, I mean, the you just you either do or you don't at that point. You know what I mean? You you do it because you have to. You got to eat, you got to have a roof over your head, you got to find a way to get to work, you know what I mean? Or you don't. And I just was not going to settle. I've never been the guy that would settle. I remember I worked any job that I had to. I did jobs that I hated. I whatever, and I remember hating them the whole time and and uh, I, I just knew that I had to. And being resourceful is th- the failure. The failure is a gift. Like you said, the failure is a gift. Being able to fail, you don't learn when you're comfortable. You don't learn when things are going great. You know, you don't. Yep. You don't grow. It's it's failing and then being like, oh my God, what happened? Let's not have that happen again. It's going to make you work harder and be like, okay, I can do this next time to get past that. So just getting kicked out seemed awful at the time i mean i knew it was the right thing to do i had to get out of there but it taught me how to do the things you got to do stuff you don't want to do you got to do shit you don't want to do sometimes you know what I mean? develop that discipline and i think that's the biggest thing that i learned was like okay you don't get to just feel happy and not every day is going to be great you've got to do uncomfortable shit sometimes to really get the stuff done and even in running a business i'm I'm sure you know this too there's you just got to do stuff there's aspects of running the business that some people don't like, you know what I mean? And eventually we outsource them. But when you're yeah. starting off, you're, you're just bootstrapping and you're kind of strapped for cash. It's like, I got to do everything. I don't have the luxury of saying, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to put that off. And that's the lesson I learned growing up. It was like, if I felt like, well, I don't want to go to work today. Well, it's like, well, then guess what, Shay? You can't pay rent. And now you're out on the street alone and you've got no other option. So burn the boats, buddy, because it's time to go. And being able to develop that discipline has helped me so much. Uh, I still do it every day. I create some some form of artificial stress for myself, uh, typically in the form of a workout, right? Or um, a really cold shower in the morning. I take the coldest shower I possibly can in the morning. <laughs> and I'm breathing deep. And then when I get out, I'm just like, I let out this roar, like, woo, you're just alive. <laughs> I don't always want to take that cold shower, but I know if I can do the little things every day, even when I don't want to do it, Discipline equals freedom. A little quote from Jocko Willings there. Oh,
0: dude, that's so good. Like, hold on. We Like, two things we've got to touch on real quick. So, first of all, I'm a a cold shower fan as well. Like, people listening, like, here's the thing, you guys. Like, if you feel like you're in a coma in the morning, start doing a cold shower. Like, don't you feel, honestly, Shay, like it's more effective than, like, three cups of coffee. Like, it wakes your shit up. Oh, 100%. (laughs) coffee like there is nothing I've ever
1: felt that will make you wake up like that and I mean if you're familiar with Wim Hof like the Wim Hof breathing method at all yes uh, he is all about cold exposure and he's all about breath work so I do the Wim Hof breathing in the cold shower and when I get out I mean my eyes are peeled open and there's no way I could go back to sleep I'm ready to take on the day a thousand percent like let's kill it baby let's go and yeah, I mean, physiologically, just speaking physiologically, I mean, the, the serotonin and the dopamine release out of that, and it's the cold shock protein, so it's anti-inflammatory, so it helps reduce pain. Uh, there's just um, so many benefits to that, not even just psychologically, physiologically. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. I go through and I do the warm shower, you know, kind of get in, not super warm because I mean, sometimes there's days where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I can go from a hot shower to a super cold one, but I just do the normal shower, wash the hair, all that stuff. And then at the end, I look down, I look at that dial, and I'm like, are we going to do it today? Yep. <laughs> I cranked that bad boy, and I, woo, I'm spinning around and jumping and breathing. And and then when I get out, it's like,
0: okay, I'm ready to take on the day. Oh, dude, it's it's so legit. So anyone listening that A, has a hard time waking up, like, try this. Seriously, like yes. 60 seconds or less If you if you've never done it. Or like, the best remedy before, like, before a workout, even, like, I, I take cold showers before a long run, which makes yep. zero sense from a hygiene perspective, because I'm about to go get sweaty, but, like, to wake up, so, oh, such a gift, and, and I think what a lesson, too, Shay, that you're, you're sharing here, like, the freedom, the breakthroughs are in the discomfort, so huge, um, I love it, so let me ask you this, too, like, because uh, we do have a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that listen to this as well, like do you feel like we talked about in the beginning, and like I get it, I mean prevail, my company's only been going four months, so like I think so many business owners tell me if you would agree, they come in with a bunch of cash, maybe they had some some v c money, whatever it is, they feel like they 're too above doing certain things in the business, like oh i 'm Like I raised the money, like I'm fancy, blah, 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 blah. Like I'm going to outsource that. I'm going to outsource that. I'm going to outsource that. Do you feel like that approach really, really robs the business and the business owner of some of the greatest gifts of growth?
1: I think it definitely can. I don't think it always has to. I think if there's a good leadership structure in place, um, you know, just kind of explaining to everybody like, hey, here's why we're doing this. This is how it's going to work better for us. But a lot of times coming in and if, if, yeah, definitely if the business owner is above doing something in the business, that's a problem, right? That's not good leadership. They should be, in my opinion, maybe maybe this isn't the most effective way or, or the most efficient way to do it, but I feel like you could gain a lot more respect from a lot of people if you're willing to clean the bathroom. You know what I mean? At your own business still, regardless of how many employees you have or how much money you're making, I think that for me shows integrity that shows discipline and hard work and Willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. And I think that if you're not, if you go in with that mindset of the VC money and you raise all this cash and basically your yearly goal is to go around and just get another round of, of raising profits versus learning how to actually connect with people and create a meaningful experience for them. I think that does rob the business owner and the business of, um, some vital experiences of, of growth and failure. Um, So like for me right now, it's me and I have another coach that comes in and helps me. And I have a couple of yoga teachers that come in and teach yoga a couple of days a week. And uh, I clean the gym, I clean the equipment, I clean the bathrooms if I have to, you know what I mean? So um, for me, my experience, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I like that. Um, But eventually, you know, if the time is right and to really grow the business to the next level, I think you do have to outsource a little bit at some point you don't always have to maybe depending on how, how big you want to get, you know what I mean? It's all on your personal opinion. Right. But uh, yeah, I think just the key, even if you don't have to do it, being willing to do whatever you got to do, uh, you know, whatever job it is, cleaning, whatever, that will gain you a lot of respect. So I think that that is very, very important to be able to be willing to do that.
0: 100%. And like, obviously, you know, we're not saying to every business owner that's seeking to scale up, like don't outsource. Like, of course it's necessary at some point. We, I think what we're saying here is, is like, maybe it's, maybe it's more like you're like the the founder of Basecamp, Jason Freed, where every single person in the company, at least one or two hours a month has to work customer service on the phones. Like he yeah. literally still does that. And I think what it builds is, is empathy and understanding, for not only your employees, but your customers, because you, you, you get it like you're in the trenches and Hey, maybe eventually you won't clean your bathroom. Like maybe you have a clean lady or guy come in and do it, but you're just going to have so much more like empathy, I think, and appreciation and and just like gratitude. So I, I, I love that, man. That's, that's really good stuff. Okay. So I want to, I want to shift gears, you know, our last, last uh, bit here to really dive into your business. Cause I think it's fascinating what you're doing and you're integrating some really, really unique approaches in, into the facility. So start from the beginning, you know, talk to us just a little bit about your business. What's the name of it and and tell us all about everything you guys do.
1: Yeah. So, the business name is Enlightened Athlete. Um, I struggled for a long time to figure out what I was going to call it. I'm pretty picky about names and naming stuff and figuring stuff like that out. And I struggled with it for a long time. But when I was in high school, going through the rough patch, I got pretty into meditation, uh, Buddhist philosophy, um, you know, the whole story of Buddha, the enlightened, becoming enlightened. Um, And I, that's something that I did. I did I'm kind of like a dichotomy. I view myself, I used to view myself as like, I wanted to be this hippie who traveled around the world in a van, you know, um, just hanging out on a hammock. But I also wanted to be this guy that maybe wore the expensive suit sometimes and had the briefcase and was running the business, like the CEO. So sure. I was like, God, how do I like mash these two together? And this business idea is kind of the same thing for me because I was a hard charging athlete all through high school. Um, Would have went to play college sports, but I had to get a job when I got kicked out. So it was like, okay, I meditate all the time, but I'm also a meathead. You know what I mean? So <laughs> how do I put those two together? What am I trying to do here when I do this? And what's helped me a lot? Well, the physical side has helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of solace. But also the spiritual side of things has helped me out a lot as well. And spiritual can mean whatever you want that to mean. I mean, it could literally just be the universe, collective conscious, God, whatever you want to call it. I don't put any you know, uh, restrictions or judgment or anything like that on anybody Um, for me, I mean, the definition of enlightened is having or showing a rational, modern and well informed outlook. Well, that's pretty good to me. So enlightened athlete is a melting pot of the physical side of the body and the mental and the spiritual emotional side of the body, putting those together and trying to elevate your potential, not only physically, but mentally and and emotionally as well. So We do have strength and conditioning workouts that we do in here, a broad variety of movements. We train like athletes, we get people stronger, we get people looking better, we dial in their nutrition. But our tagline is fitness, nutrition, mindset, right? Mindset is the last piece that most people, in my experience in a gym, kind of gloss over or don't want to dive into because they don't know how to bring it up. So what I do is I bring in yoga teachers and we have yoga at least once a week in here. um, And I've talked with the teachers And we always talk about setting an intention and and focusing on your breath and feeling what you're feeling right now, what's your body feeling like, what's your mind saying, go back to your intention for the day, for the week. Um, I do breath work courses in here, classes. I teach people to sit down and do meditations. Uh, We're going to do group meditations here coming up pretty soon. I'd like to bring in some other instructors for some of the more um, uh, like Wim Hof style breathing, right? We we do a lot of that in here too. So, and even in the daily workouts, I try to say like, When I program these workouts out, like, hey, today is really hard. Like, it's a grinder, but don't beat yourself up if you can't do this movement or that movement or whatever. I want you to do your best. But what I really want you to focus on today in this long, hard workout is where does your mind go, right? What can we do? What do you start telling yourself when you get tired? What do you start telling yourself when it gets hard? You know, focus on your mindset. And you can use that outside of the gym, right? There's a lot more to the gym than running a mile or doing a bunch of heavy squats you develop uh, resiliency and i try to bring that to the forefront instead of just having that be a a, like a a side effect like let's bring it to the forefront like we're developing that in here as well so biceps and brains that's what we're developing and, and that's what i do here at enlightened athlete
0: oh i love that biceps and brains very very cool that's that's awesome man and and yeah it's that's a great marriage. Like I I really genuinely believe you're, you're onto something that's, that's going to be just become even bigger, like huge. I mean, I lived in New York city for a year and uh, when did I leave? I've been gone. I don't know. I guess two years ago, I remember walking down the street in Manhattan and seeing meditation centers start to pop up and it's just so cool. Like, you know, people really get that there is something to, quieting the mind and mindfulness and meditation. And I I think what you're doing with bringing that right into sport and athletics and strength, like that's, that's huge. So tell us about like, sorry, maybe put you on the spot, but like, where do you get the most reward from? Like, is it, is it in helping athletes in your gym and like if so like maybe tell us a story one or two of you know maybe some of the transformations that you've seen either mentally or physically but just people that you've helped
1: yeah the the biggest joy i get out of everything the reason i wanted to start doing it was not only the passion that i had for physical health but helping people overcome whatever they're struggling with you know what i mean and maybe somebody else you don't know somebody else's story so I've had people come in here and while we're going through a personal training session or a group class, they break down and they start crying, you know, and it's like, oh God, what happened? You know, I, I initially think they get hurt, but then you, you sit down and you talk to them after class. You're like, what's going on? And they divulge some information or something that's going on in their life. And you get to sit and talk to people like that. And my, my wife is a licensed mental health practitioner. So- okay. okay.
0: Oh Shay. Innovation. Oh, Shay, are you there? I think so. Are we still there? Yeah, I lost you for just a sec. Let's keep rolling though. We're good. Okay, we're good. So I
1: I'm like I said, I'm not a professional in that, but I've learned a lot of lessons and just talking to my wife the things that she studied and learned and I've you know read about psychology. It's like they start diving into some of that stuff and I have the opportunity to maybe say like, maybe just say, Hey, it's okay. You know, you're going to be okay. Um, it's okay to feel this way right now. And then you can move on and they come back and you can see a shift in their personality. I see people grow uh, in between the years. That's like the greatest adaptation of hard exercise. I think is you gain self-confidence, you gain um, self-worth, self-esteem raises, you feel better about yourself. Um, and I've seen amazing physical transformations as well. And that alone will give you, self-confidence right even if you don't dive into the mental stuff so i have a lady now who um she has lost over 70 pounds since working with me and she lost 50 before that i think somewhere right around there and she is a totally different person now i get to see her coming she's still coming she still shows up she still works hard and it's like she her whole life is different she sleeps better she used to take a ton of melatonin to sleep she doesn't do that anymore and just seeing the people improve the quality of their life overall, their relationships get stronger. They cut off bad relationships they don't need to because they respect themselves enough. And being able to interact one-on-one with those people is the biggest joy for me. I love that. It gives me so much energy. And I just enjoy the process of teaching people how to move and maybe how to think a little bit more clearly um, about specific situations. So for me, that is the most rewarding thing ever.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's got to be incredible seeing someone just just light up. I mean, I I, have got a lot of our sponsored athletes as well that have have lost, you know, 60, 70 pounds through through ultra running. And it's just like their lives are completely different. So that's that's amazing, man. Like that's a no brainer of why you want to keep doing what you're doing. I mean, that's incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it slowing down at all. And I just I hope I can grow up bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the goal.
0: I love it. I love it. I want to, I want to ask you uh, your perspective on, on maybe one last thing. And, uh, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, Lewis Howes literally just wrote a book on this, this last year called the mask of masculinity. I I don't know if you've read that book, but, um, you know, really just kind of starting the conversation around males in particular. And look, before I go into that, like, I, I get it. Like, even men like some of us have more feminine or masculine you know dominancies like we're all just a little bit different we're not all type a we're not all like we're all different but that said, i think men in general have a little bit more of a, a All right, you guys. So we literally thought we lost the entire podcast. As you were just listening, you can hear that we cut off. You know, we were about to wrap it up. So I am going to wrap it up officially. And uh, just so grateful that Shay McMaster was able to join us. I hope you guys learned something. I hope you really learned basically that from trauma, from struggle, from difficulty – You have a choice. You can choose to make it part of you and make you a better person, or you can choose to allow it to destroy your life and derail you. And additionally, I think this was just a positive conversation around talking more about depression and mental illness uh, because so many of us, you guys, I mean, if you're on a busy street, half those people you need to assume are depressed or anxious or really struggling with something, maybe even a much higher percentage than that. So hopefully this has been of value to you guys. Make sure that you follow Shane McMaster. He's always got some great content out. I'll have links uh, as we share this episode. And thank you so much for tuning in.